Welcome to Sparks, a podcast from Ignium, designed to help you reignite your passion and drive your business forwards. Welcome to the second part of the interview I carried out with Anne-Marie Rodriguez de Calaine. Anne-Marie is a coach and a people consultant who helps people develop their mojo to create exceptional teams and leaders and to create working lives worth living. In this second part, we cover topics including conflict and privilege and feminine leadership. Anne-Marie also shares some insights on collaboration, which I'm sure you'll find fascinating. I hope you enjoy it. And as usual, if you have comments or questions, please drop them below or send us an email to sparks at igniumconsult.com. One, one, one question is also as well. You do a lot of work around team. And last time we talked, we talked about um, the role of, we, we talked about diversity and inclusion mm-hmm. and, and, and used a phrase which is around, you know, that, that, that the US is actually further ahead in their journey than we are in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder, how does diversity and inclusion help to build better teams? Because actually that's a, that's a subject that a lot of people are going to be talking about now. And then how do you coach people to work better together within this thing called a team? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. So, so when I was talking about we, you know, in the U, in the U.S., they've had um, the at least in the circles that I have been hanging out, <laughs> you know, the, the conversations, the hard conversations around how 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 you you know um, conflict. Um, privilege you know how it how it presents itself those conversations i feel have been going on longer in the u.s than they have here in the uk but they're here now and um which is wonderful and that and it's wonderful because i feel that we are learning through this process how to recognize the value of other people full stop how to recognize when and when when and where we have privilege for any reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so that could be the privilege that's associated with being a man versus a woman. Okay. It, it could be this the privilege of being associated with be, with the way you look, right? So I so my former career was in public relations and communications in the healthcare industry. You know, I noticed this both from men and women. It wasn't just a female thing, but there were certainly clients who wanted to work with the more physically attractive members of the team. Yeah. Now, not necessarily because they wanted a sexual liaison. That did happen, but that wasn't always the case. But it was a, um, a you know, a a preference, a yeah. preference. And if you happen to be an extremely intelligent, beautiful person, um you know, more power to you. You were going to have a little, it was going to be a little bit easier in some circles. That's a, a trivial example, but it's a true example. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so I'm a larger woman, very attractive for those of you who wanted oh, cool. to know about it. Right. But, but, you know, and I have known myself to be in certain circumstances, certain situations where um, my size has been a detriment to, uh, to a new introduction or a, you know, so someone who has a negative impression of people who are overweight yeah, will yeah. pass, you know, will just make the assumption to go talk to that person as opposed to that person. I've seen that happen more than one occasion. So, so the point that I'm making is that I think that these conversations around, around race, around privilege, around the fragility, fragility of ego, we're talking about it in relation to race and white fragility, yeah, but it's yeah. not just that. 
they're so valuable. It, you know, when we talk about bias and understand bias, they're so valuable so that when we come back into our teams and we look at the people around us, especially remotely when we can't see them, you know, it's so easy to forget the quiet person in the corner of the screen because they're not saying anything, you know, yeah. or they're, or they've turned off their video, you know, so you can't see them. And so you, you know, out of mind, out of, out of sight, out of mind. Kind yeah. of so, so the reason that, so these are all issues and I, I, I'm excited for the discomfort. The reason, the second part of the question you asked was about what's the value, what's the importance of, of diversity and inclusivity to a team, right? Yeah. yeah. It is, it is critical, not just to a team, but to the society, to any, you know, so if we want to inject um, fresh ideas, new ideas, new perspectives, you know, if we really want to open ourselves up to a customer experience, we have to look beyond our, ourselves. And if we want to adequately, um, if you look at, so I do a lot of work with um, politicians, you know, people, okay. women running for office as well, yeah. you know, and the necessity to ensure that we have equal representation of the people that we're serving is important for them for the people to see that they are represented representation visible representation is so important it, it, it tells us that we're heard it shows us that we're valued it shows us we have opportunity potential yeah. but it also ensures that our perspective and point of view is included in in decision making um, and, and that again this is not about all or nothing it's included it's 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 um it might help to create something completely new right it doesn't have to be half of this and half of that it could be a whole new other but with all this juice yeah. in there to add to something greater um so and there's and there's so much evidence right there's so much research to demonstrate the profit the bottom line to those businesses that actually have diverse leadership teams okay and actually there's, there's evidence to prove that it oh for sure oh for sure for sure, particularly women in leader, women in senior leadership roles. Okay, okay, I've not seen that. That's interesting to look into. I'll go look at that. Yeah. There's a, there's a reference. Yeah, there's loads of research that demonstrates that. That you know the um, and it comes out of the states again because that's just where they've been doing the work. But it's not exclusive, you know, to that. And so, um, I, if I can, rem I, I will f find some some references and, and send them to you separately. Okay. But but the research is definitely there. Yeah. So. Yeah you know, it's a winning business strategy to be inclusive and to be, and to bring a diversity of, of, of thinking and resources. And, and again, today, we're all talking about what's going to be the new normal. We all agree that it's not business as normal. That's gone. Bye-bye. Yeah. You know? yeah. We don't know what the future is going to bring. I feel that the leaders that I work with are literally like back up against the wall going, holy moly, what, what am I supposed to create as a new, what's new? I don't know. What am I going to do? And, um, and the only way we're going to figure that out is coming together, bringing new, bringing others with different perspectives, different thinking, different ideas yeah. so that we can create some, this is whatever this new thing is. Yeah. And you know, I love that you said earlier about recognizing the value of each other or value of others. And that's the key is it's bringing, it's not just bringing, uh, in fact, it's bringing diversity, but diversity of thinking, diversity of ideas. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm an engineer by background. 
I started life as, an, as a mechanical engineer. I, I used to joke with people that I was paid for the answers I gave because that's what I did. I stopped planes falling out of the sky. Thank you. And, yeah, exactly. Thank you. <laughs> and now I'm paid for the questions I ask. Right. Both are valuable. And, and I sit down and talk to people now and I hear people just talking at me. They've got one way of thinking. And what I've learned over the time is I have to listen to all the bits they say because actually there's value in each, everything that everyone brings. And we need now to be able to assimilate it and say, okay, so what do we do with all these bits of information? Just because this person has a, a reference point of just giving data doesn't mean to say me as a more of an emotional person, which is something I've changed in the last 15 to 20 years. I've, I've developed my emotional response to things, which is interesting, mm. from the engineering thinking to a more of a, I use the word feeling coach, mm. because I now get in touch with what's going on for me. But actually, I recognize the value that I used to bring and the value I now bring. And that's just one element, I think, of finding variety and diversity of thinking. Well, I'm so glad you raised that, actually, because what you're talking about is bringing an integrated approach to yourself, right? Because so, so as human beings and as so there's a lot of when I started talking about human centricity, yeah. it was, bef it was, you know, before 2020, <laughs> <laughs> the years before, and we were talking about, at the time we were talking about, you know, a VUCA, the VUCA world, right? And we were talking about um, kind of how we were beginning to crumble under, as a society and as an economy, under um, the old approach to command and control leadership that really wasn't serving us anymore, but we didn't, there wasn't enough there to replace it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and we started hearing people long before me talking about heart led leadership. Um, we, um, you know, um, uh, Brené Brown talking about vulnerability and courage. Um, you know, these are not, but the, so what's, these were not new ideas, but what they were, where they were associated with being female with being feminine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And so, you know, um, there's a wonderful um, uh, theologian whose first name is Joseph and whose second name, I don't know how to pronounce, which is why I can't remember it. And I'm currently looking at my bookcase in the hope, please, <laughs> within the seconds I'm saying this, that it will shout out at me, but I can't. Um, but, he's, but he wrote an essay called The Lonely Man of God. He was talking about... Um, the two parts of ourselves. He talked about Adam, he called him Adam, you know, a, a male perspective, thank you. But he was talking about Adam A and Adam B. And Adam A is the part of ourselves that um, we bring to work, okay? And that, and this, we're talking about men, that we bring to work. And that Adam A is the part that is focused on creating something, building something um, that's very directive, directed, you know, very purposeful uh competitive you know uh, gonna gonna make our way through adam b is the other side of ourselves that is the more emotive that feels the pain that 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 would make decisions potentially based on emotion that might complicate the success of the the build right yeah, yeah. that and that adam b is the one because they're 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 a more emotional they're more empathetic and they can feel the impact of the of um of the world around them and for cent for generations centuries um we only allowed in business adam a to show up oh great yeah yeah okay yeah. so what do we get okay so we get men 
in that environment who are gruff. Now I'm being, I'm being generalized here, you know, who are, who are kind of uh, stiff upper lip and uh, you know, and, and um, suck it up and keep going businesses that take decisions about uh, manufacturing uh, factories where they'll close down the whole factory that will then put the entire state a city rather in um, a recession but because it was the right thing for the profit margins they they did it anyway okay so but that of course has a, a uh, an economic impact mm-hmm. that will come back to hit that company in the butt later on somewhere else. Mm-hmm. But that's not the point. Anyway, potentially would have seen that, th- that potential there anyway. Yeah. So what they're saying is that Adam a, so therefore there's a conflict, right? Because man, humans are not one dimensional. We're not always this kind of blurred, directive, hard, view and so you see that you see a lot of anger you know previously you would see a lot of anger in the office you would see a lot of um jostling and positioning in the office place and then as women began to enter that environment you know they would talk about women being acting like men the women were never acting like men women were acting like the one part of themselves because women also have two parts to themselves yeah it's the parts is the key actually isn't it it's that word parts we have both masculine and feminine energy i have both you have both yes understanding how we work exactly so now what we've and we started to see this before you know we we started to see this before where you know people some people call it feminine leadership some people call it uh feminine you know a female leaders are better than they're not they're just bringing the other part of themselves that they were always allowed to have mm-hmm. so things like collaboration communication compassion are now they're no longer seen as a, the feminine wiles they are seen as human characteristics that make a whole person yeah. and make for better leadership i love that and i love that in terms of it's human human characteristics mm-hmm. and you're right we've got that whole person there and then it is fascinating actually because I, I, I was thinking about someone I've, I've talked to recently, a client I've been coaching. Um, and at the beginning of the pandemic, he was furloughed along with the whole of his team. Mm. Uh, and he works in a car dealership. So, in the car dealership, part of the furlough scheme in the UK was that you got paid your, your basic salary as furlough money. But his concern was the people that work with him, the juniors in the sales department, their basic is so little they cannot survive on that. They survive on this next piece, which is the commission. So, so from a rational point of view, they got the government money. It just paid them the basic wage. But his view was, we need to give them more because emotionally I feel for these people because I care for them and they're my team. And I want them to come back to work one day in the best possible state. Therefore, I need to top up their salary with the bit they would have earned on top of their commission to make them feel worthwhile, but also to help them survive over the next three months. And that to me sums up this rational Adam versus the sensitive emotional. That's a wonderful example, actually, because um, you know, I hope I hope more people hear what you just said. If we're business leaders or leaders in any organization, it's not just about helping people, um, giving them what they giving them a little bit extra so that they can just get by, but it's what you said around making sure that they're in the best possible state when they do come back. Yeah, yeah. You know, we have to figure this, first of all, first of all, we know we're not, we're the, this is not finishing, this is not ending. For the next 18 months minimum, 
this is where we're going. And every single day, every single day, something new comes up. We've got the bubonic, bubonic plague has just popped up in China. Yeah. We've got um, tumultuous flooding happening in China, which I've noticed has not been covered in the media here in the UK, but it's been happening in, in, in China. We've got um, all kinds of, 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 of social unrest, political unrest that has nothing to do with um, the Black Lives Matter. This has been going on long before, but all over the world, all of the, the systems that we're all connected to yeah. are profound. So, so, and we've got, you know, um, what is it called? Um, what is it called? Oh my goodness. When you, second wave, oh my gosh, the second yeah. wave, <laughs> second yeah, wave yeah. of disease, right? Which means that our economy and our economy, we, don't have, we have no idea what we're facing. You know, and I don't know if you've noticed it yet, but I've certainly noticed it when I'm shopping. Things are, some of the things that I would normally wish to buy are actually not available now. Yeah. Because there's a three month lag, right? And that was in three. That was three months ago. That was that three months ago. Day. So what's going to happen in three months' time? So right. your point about how do we create, how do we support our teams and our staff, our people, so that they're actually coming, not just because they want to come back to work with us. Uh -huh. So when they do, they're in the best possible state. Yeah, I yeah. love that. What a great like um, working group that conversation would be. Yeah, in and, and itself. I, I haven't thought about that, but it is true. Is it? It's state. It's about you know we as leaders can help you manage our state. We can help others manage the state, but we have to get in the right state ourselves to be able to have that conversation and and to have those two parts of us sitting on each, each shoulder to understand what's the rational side, and what's the emotional side, what's the feminine, what's the masculine energy we need to bring to the situation. Yeah, and actually, if we integrate, that's when you get the better better long term result. And that comes out I think about working and collaborating. I need my energies to collaborate together to be able to do a better job for society, better job as a coach. Ultimately, I, I we talk about people, I'm just trying to inspire people. If I can get my collaboration as energies, I can inspire more people to do better in the future. Is the yeah, and you know what? Absolutely. And that goes back again to time because, um, you know, one of the problems with working remotely is people have lost their commuting time, right? So, so you know, I, podcasts like these are, you know, are, have been, have become really popular because this is the time when, you know, you and I having this conversation now, okay. somebody else will listen to it and they'll have two coaches talking to them for, for 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Right. And it is really powerful. But now that we're working remotely, when do they have, when do they, they don't put the earplugs in, you know, the ear pods in or whatever these things are called. Uh -huh. Um, so, so if they can find the time, there are a variety of ways in which you can be, you can achieve nourishment, yeah, yeah. you know, where you can be, can allow yourself to be inspired and in a way collaborate, mm -hmm. you know, Brene Brown doesn't know that she and I have been collaborating for years. Oprah, that. since I was 16 years old, me and Oprah, we go way back. <laughs> I, love I, I love that. I love that. They're there, there. You know, sitting around their kitchen table, they're inspiring you to do different things, and you feel like you're sitting at the kitchen table with them. Absolutely, absolutely, and I think that happens for leaders, as, you know, in in all kinds of environments, if they are able to, um, to make that space. And and listen, you know, we know some of the best leaders, some of the most successful leaders, um, you know, they make the time for their physical development 
as well, says the woman who, as we've established, is not the most physically active in the world, but my, my appreciation and understanding of how it works is clear, right? <laughs> Knowing one thing. Absolutely. <laughs> and, 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 you know, the, the, the bit I took away from you just said there, um, and I think I'm going to get this right, um, Peter Drucker talked about standing on the shoulders of giants. And actually, that's the bit that I think where that, you know, we all have this vast array of knowledge now. We may not have the time, but actually we've got the knowledge to do anything we want, either through the internet or the books behind us, whatever it might be. We just need to understand which book to open. And part of, I think, part of coaching, going back to that selling coaching again, is actually being able to sit with someone who's got, some, got a different frame of reference, can look at things differently, but might be able to bring, shed some new light on a problem or help you shed more light on a problem that you've been suffering with for a long time. Completely. And, and also to that, that, you know, we... Someone said to me the other day, when the, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Yeah, I've, I've said, yeah, do you know, I love that phrase. I, my, very first, my very first client was an Asian businessman. In fact, he was a Ugandan Asian, and that was the phrase he said. He, he, he attributed it to a Hindu saying, but either way, it's the phrase I love. It's when the student's ready. You know, because I was saying to somebody the other day, you know, if it was so easy there would not be libraries full of books about how to be a better leader, how to be a better communicator, how to be a better entrepreneur, you know, or there would not be hundreds of thousands of um, speakers and motivators and, you know, and, and all, all of these bits and pieces. We wouldn't have, I mean, some of us, some of the leaders that I work with, they, they, they eat inspirational quotes for breakfast, you, you know, it wouldn't exist if it was so easy. So sometimes we hear these messages, but they're not, we're not able, we haven't learned whatever lessons we needed to learn along the way or haven't experienced whatever um, uh, case studies, examples that we needed to, yeah. to experience before we could receive the message. Yeah. So, so we, have to, we have to keep that open mindset, that growth mindset to kiss uh, I, I totally agree. And I'm, I'm just going to use one floral phrase, which is again quoting someone else. Tony Robbins says that um, he tells a story about a piano tuner coming into his house. And the piano tuner comes in and chews the piano. And Tony Robbins pays him the money. And then the piano, the piano tuner says, I'll be back in six months to retune it. And he says, but you just tuned it. Why do you need to tune it again? He says, because when you use it, it stretches. You need to bring it back in shape again. And to me, that's about personal development as well. You've got to have it regularly. You need your, your own piano tuner to come in and keep you in tune all the way through your life. Otherwise, you're going to lose your own note. I love that. It's, I haven't heard that analogy. I have heard you need the little um, the health check, the little MOT from time to time, just to make sure, um, you know, it, 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 just to make sure that you, you're still using your brain in the same way. You're still, you're still open to the same opportunities. Because the thing is, too, people come, have this misperception that when you need to have these conversations, that there's a problem, that you need to be fixed that's not what growth and development is about and that's not what learning is about yeah, yeah. Um, it's not about fixing it's about developing and building on what you've already got yeah absolutely you know it's that whole idea around making mistakes it's not the the, the point is not you yes okay you want to fix the mistake but the real opportunity is and what did you learn in mm -hmm. that process mm -hmm. and um and how will you apply it next time? Yeah, because that's the key, is how can you then apply it next time? And how can you help other people learn from your mistakes as well? There's, um, there's a brilliant story I've heard as well, which again, I'm, I'm always hearing stories. Um, 
and it was a lady who's very famous for what she does. And, and she says that when she was growing up, her father used to come home and ask her one question, which was, what have you failed at today? And he said it in a nurturing view, because he wanted her to, to learn to fail, because in every failure, there's a success in the making. Mm. And, and I love that in terms of, you know, most, most dads or moms come home and say, what did you succeed at? But actually his view was, what have you failed at? Because he wanted her to push herself out of a comfort zone mm. and help her do better. And I thought that's a great phrase. What have you failed at today? I like that. I'm getting, my son's five. I think I might, he's coming home shortly. I think I might, I might <laughs> ask him that question because it does also turn, you know, really does, um, even in the, you know, with your call, you know, with the people that you're uh, managing or line managing to ask them that question really switches around that idea that you have to constantly please because you're, you're see, and, and what a relief to be seen as the person you are yeah. as opposed to the person you're trying to be. I love that. Thanks, Anne-Marie. That was a fascinating conversation. I really enjoyed talking to you, and I'm sure our listeners will get a lot from this. I'll put details for both you and I in the show notes below, and if people want to follow up, they know where to find us. So, that concludes this episode of Sparks. Thanks for listening. We're always looking for ideas on how to drive this podcast forward. So, if you've got comments, please leave them via a review of our show, along with your rating. Or send us an email to sparks at avmconsult.com. 